Hello and welcome to the Cool Explorations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peters. Today we're going to hear from Norman Welsh. He wrote a book, uh, Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, and uh, he uses this to help people with uh, PTSD, uh, which he has himself, and help people get through recovery of, of addiction. And it's through this Christ-centered healing that he uses. So he's going to explain that today. Hello, everyone. Today we uh, are honored to have Norm Welsh on, and he is going to talk about his book, as well as uh, the Christ-centered healing approach. And uh, why don't you start off by just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit what you do now. Well, thank you, Tony. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Uh, my name is Norm Welsh. I was a police officer for over 26 years, and I live in the Northern California area. And um, I suffered from PTSD from some of the things that I saw, and that resulted in um, some poor coping mechanisms. And then I got a neurological disease that caused me to have 30 surgeries in a 10-year period and ended up getting uh, opioid addiction because of the surgeries. And then, of course, there it goes downhill with poor decisions and uh, a 14-year prison sentence. And uh, thank God, praise God, that um, he let me out early. I only did eight and a half years, and I'm still uh, making amends for it. And I've got a job right now as a chaplain and as an addiction counselor here in Northern California. Yeah, and June is PTSD Awareness Month, so it's perfect timing to have you on. Yeah. I was kind of hoping to get you on in June here because I had uh, PTSD USA, found, or the Foundation for PTSD of USA, on uh, just last week. So we were able to talk a little bit more about that. So, yeah, I've been trying to get as many PTSD things in as, as I can this month because I also suffer from PTSD. So uh, it's something yeah. I definitely... I, can understand. Well, we got to get the stigma. A lot of people don't want to seek help. And that's the, you know, the problem that I did is I didn't seek help when I should have. And it's, um, it's really something. So we really need to get the word out there. That's okay to talk to people. Well, exactly. The, the weakness is not having PTSD. The weakness is not getting help for PTSD. The yeah. courage and strength comes when you actually admit you have it and you're willing to get the help for it. And that took a lot of years for me. And I know it does for most people. So it, it is okay to get, get help and admit that, that you need help. And uh, it's better for your family. <laughs> better for you. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your testimony then and uh, what brought you um, to God and uh, what, how has he kind of shaped your life since then? Oh, my God. It's, a, it's an incredible story for me because I would never believed in God. I mean, I come from a Christian family. Actually... I lived in Port Coquitlam for a little while, and um, then we moved here to uh, Northern California. And my parents labeled themselves Christian, but we never went to church, you know, maybe once on a um, Christmas Eve or something like that. So it wasn't really deep rooted in my family. But as I became a police officer, I noticed that there's a lot of suffering in this world, right? And, and seemingly for no reason. And so I never really believed in God. I just said, you know, how can a loving God allow this kind of stuff to happen? So I kind of pushed him aside, but he was still working in my life. I mean, when I look back, man, there were some dangerous things that um, he took care of me. You know, he kept me safe, but I, I started my career and I worked about 12 years in a local police department. And then I ended up getting a neuromuscular disease, um, which is Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which is the um, uh, deadening of the muscles or atrophy of the muscles in the extremities. And then that was complicated by peripheral neuropathy, which a lot of diabetics have, but I don't, I'm not a diabetic. 
And so what happens with that is you get blisters on, on your feet because um, my, my bones were growing down. It was really strange and they were popping open the skin. And so within a 10 year period, I had to go through 30 surgeries and I was still working as a police officer at the time. But at that time I had changed my job to narcotics. So I went to state narcotics and um, it was a little less pressure on me to be out every day because I had I was an administrator and I had a desk job. And this the stress of all these surgeries brought out the PTSD, right? They kind of, I don't want to say it lay dormant, but I really didn't feel it. I mean, I, I'd been suffering depression for years, but I just thought that was just one of the things that we go through. I mean, my wife was begging me, she said, please go seek help. I see these personality traits you change and we really got to do something about it. But of course, um, in, in first responders, that's a big no-no, right? You say, no, I, I got this. Don't worry. There's nothing wrong. And, and we, you know, we justify it by all kinds of different things. And, and, and yet they have some of the highest rates of depression, suicide, yeah. and that kind of thing because yeah, of what they've seen. Currently, right now in, in the U.S., we have more suicides than um, on-duty killings. It's, it's crazy. I mean, we're just, yeah. I don't know what it is right now. Maybe it has something to do with the public not respecting officers down here. I'm not sure. But also there's in this culture, it's like a warrior culture. You, you have to be strong. You have to be that guy that could take control, right? Because when you go into a dangerous situation, no, nobody wants to be led by some guy that's going to break down and cry, right? Yeah. So everything that happens, you have to push down all those emotions. You just have to push down, push down but eventually it's going to pull or just pop right out. Right. So I started suffering a lot, a lot of um, depression. I started having anxiety attacks and nightmares that were just horrific. I mean, the nightmares were so real that I was really almost afraid to go to sleep. So of course a friend says, Hey, start taking some Ambien. That'll help you. And if, yeah. It, it helped me get to sleep, but whoa, I mean, that, that's a strong drug, just like the Vicodin and, and the Percocet, all that kind of stuff. And because I had no feeling in my feet, I'd never had really pain after the surgeries, but the doctors kept prescribing and prescribing and prescribing. And I'm not trying to get down or blame doctors. I mean, it's, it's all my own fault that I, I took these pills, but what I noticed was my anxiety, um, my depression, um, everything seemed to level out, right? Because of the pills. And it was almost like a self-medication, emotional self-medication had nothing to do with, with my feet. And so that's how it's, it started. And then, uh, pretty soon, you know, went from a couple of pills a day to, you know, a dozen pills a day to, to almost two dozen pills a day, you know, cause you don't really realize addiction is really slow. It, it's creeps up to you yeah. and. And again, you justify it because, okay, um, I, at that time, I was a um, commander of a narcotic task force. So as the commander, you have to go out there and, and be the in charge. You got to lead this group of men and you keep these secret, right? I don't want to tell these guys that um, I'm really not fit for duty, right? My feet are really bad. My, my hands, I've had some surgeries on my hands. My hands are all... Um, uh, the muscles in my hands are causing the, the curling and stuff. I had a difficult time handling my on-duty weapon, you know, and, um, and people say, well, 
well, why didn't you just retire? Why didn't you just leave or ask for a desk job? That's not easier, what first responders do. Easier said than done. Yeah. yeah you know, well, it's built into you that you got to just move forward. Right. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> and then it's the stigma of mental illness. Right. And there was a couple of times where I really seriously thought about taking my life and, and people say, well, you should have sought help. Okay. Well, if I would have went to my employee's assistant program and told the psychologist there that, yeah, last night I really considered suicide and I put this gun in my mouth, the next call would be to, to my chief. And the next thing that would happen was a call to me saying, Hey, don't come in, you know, um, you're you're off duty. And then, that rumor will not rumor will spread. And then all of a sudden, no, nobody will work with you anymore because weakness is a career killer. No one will work with you if you're considered weak. You know, I mean, I've done it to other officers who I've deemed weak, you know, 30 years ago. It's a horrible, horrible thing, but that's the truth in, in law enforcement, fire. Uh, it even happens in hospitals, in emergency rooms where you have to take control in a split second and you have to be decisive and you can't, you know, um, think about, oh my gosh, this, this guy has lost his arm and I, you can't do that. You have to think quickly. No hesitation. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't tell anybody, you know, and when you start doing that, it just, like I said before, you just shove those secrets and those emotions down. And what I didn't know back then, because I, I no one taught us about PTSD in the police academy. It wasn't on the, the police brochure. Hey, work, work with us and you'll get PTSD here in a few years and you'll, your rest of your life will be miserable. No, it, it doesn't say that. You, the training, I hear it's better now, but the training that I went through in the early 80s was basically a four-hour block on nutrition and exercise. That, that was the wellness thing that they had. And obviously, that's not going to um, help for anyone who's seen some horrific stuff like every police officer out there does. And so I, I started taking these pills and pretty soon you're a slave. I mean, the Bible's right. You're a slave to that sin. You, that's all, all you think about. It's, it takes over your, your personality and it takes over your life. And it's, uh, I was pretty much making some bad decisions and then the last straw was my, my daughter, who was 24 at the time. She came down with um, some liver tumors. We went to the doctor and they, they said that this was a very complicated surgery because this tumor had wrapped itself around an artery. So only UCLA Medical Center, which is you know um, UC Los Angeles, is a phenomenal um, hospital. They were the only one that could really do it, or at least that's what they, they were saying. And the survival of the surgery was only going to be a 50% survival rate of surgery. And that threw me into a downward spiral. I mean, I only have two girls and uh, it's just, it, it really affected me deeply. And I went off the deep end, you know, cause I thought in my warped mind, not only the drugs, but you know, this is what human nature is. We blame ourselves. I was blaming myself for her death or her imminent death, and which was ridiculous anyway, you know, but yeah, I thought she was going to have imminent death. And then it was my fault because obviously look at the issues that I have, you know, my DNA is flawed. 
And I gave this to her, which is ridiculous, you know, but this is what our mind does. Yeah. Our mind plays tricks us. And, and I shouldn't even say our mind, it's Satan. He's, he's putting these, these ideas in our head in order to defeat us. And about two weeks later, I, I tried to commit suicide um, on the side of the road after a, a search warrant we did. And um, thank God I, I didn't do it. Thank God I, I, I um, persevered through. But after that day, I basically gave up all hope. And um, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I had a long time to think about this. I think I self-destructed. I think I said, well, if I'm going to, to go out, you know, this wasn't a conscious thing, but this is what I'm looking back at. If I'm going to go out of this career, you know, I'm going to go out with a bang. So I tried to do so many dangerous things to, to get myself shot or killed, you know, um, hopefully killed because then I would have had a, a large police funeral and everybody would be saying what a hero I was and stuff. But I, I, di I didn't, I just self-destructed another way. And a friend of mine, well, who I thought it was a friend, he, um, he asked me to steal some drugs because he was going to sell them to, to make some money. And I, and I did. I stole drugs out of the evidence room of the, the police department. And that's uh, the first, the guy that he sold it to was an undercover officer. So my, my life as a drug dealer was like, a, you know, three or four days. <laughs> but, you know, we try to justify things in our mind. And, and for some reason, I felt it was, it was all right. And I mean... Satan has such a stronghold on us if we allow him to that anything makes sense, right? Yeah, he'll, he'll whisper little things in your ear like, oh, it's, it's okay, just, just, just this once. Or, you know, you're, you're smarter. Okay. You know, look, look, you're yeah. the boss here. You can get away with it. It's all right. So <clears throat> I got arrested and um, I, I was, they got sent to jail. I bailed out. I was out for two years. But this is when God worked in my life. I mean, I... It was amazing. I wasn't looking for him, but he came to me like he always does. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I still can't believe how how he loves me so much that you know he he did this. But one night I'm I'm sitting with with my wife in in my house, and this phone call comes. So I answer it, <clears throat> and the guy says, "Hi, my name is Pastor Jeff Kenny from um, New Hope Church," and. I, I got your number from a friend of your father's and I just wanted to let you know that we're here for you. I know that you're going through a stressful time and if you want, we come to church and I, we will um, talk about it. If you want counseling, we'll give you counseling um, or just, you just need somebody to talk to. And, and where was this new hope church from? <clears throat> um, in Concord, California. So it's in Northern okay. California. So it's about maybe 15 miles from, from me. Okay. But it was just, I just never, a but there's a few New Hope churches, so I just wanted to clarify that. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah, New Hope International. Um, it's part of that New Hope system um, here in Northern California. And in my mind, I'm saying, you know, I'm just trying to blow him off, right? You know, yeah, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, then he invites me to church. And I said, well, you know, I'll think about it. Thank you. And, I'll, you know, I was trying to be polite, especially to a pastor. <laughs> and then he goes, well is it okay if I pray for you? And I said, yeah, you know, go, go ahead. In my mind, I'm saying, knock yourself out. I don't, you know, I don't care because I wasn't a praying person, but he prayed the sinner's prayer. And I had no idea what the sinner's prayer was. And at the end of the prayer, he goes, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. I, I don't know. I said, yeah, you know, just to kind of, you know, appease him really. 
So it wasn't really in my heart. And so he says, well, still, you know, you're always welcome to our church. I said, okay. So I went back and sat down with my wife and she says to me, she goes, what's, what's wrong? And I go, nothing. No, what, why is something wrong? She goes, she noticed something about, I don't know if it was the, the aura of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I was smiling, you know, when I haven't smiled in weeks um, because of the arrest. But I thought to myself, well, okay, what's going on? And I felt lighter, right? I felt like a, a weight has lifted off of my shoulders. And I told her, and she had grown up Catholic, so she always believed, but because of my disbelief, we didn't talk about it. And so she said, well, maybe this is what's missing in, in our lives is God. You know, why don't we go to church? So um, we went to church the next week. And now remember, I still got this cop mindset. So back then, if you had tattoos, if you were like sleeved up or had tattoos on your neck or something, I judged you as, as, a, as a criminal, right? That was back then. And now cops have tattoos everywhere. At least down here they do. And so I go in the church and there was guys that were just tattooed up, guys in shorts. I mean, I dressed up because I thought you got to dress up for church. I got slacks on, a button-down shirt. And all this, all these guys were, were hugging us. I don't think they even knew who that we were, but hugging, welcome, welcome. It was such a loving, caring environment, this church. It just, it, it, it sold me, right? And, and uh, Pastor Jeff's sermon was awesome. And so I began to go, you know, and I began to, to go to men's, um, men's studies. And all of a sudden, I just, I, I loved it. And I went all the time. So my daughter was still struggling with these tumors. And the doctor said, well, we got to do a biopsy to, to see what's going on. And before the biopsy, on a Sunday, uh, Pastor Jeff was doing a sermon. And he told me this later. But he said he felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to just stop the sermon. I mean, a mid-sermon and pray for my daughter and our family for healing. And so the whole church prayed there for, um, for my daughter. And it was just phenomenal of the power it had. <clears throat> so the next week we have the biopsy. A couple of weeks later, they call us in and sit for the results. And they couldn't give us the results. They said, well, we got to do another scan. And we thought, okay. And then we did another scan. And we went back several hours later and the doctor couldn't explain it. He goes, I, I don't know what to say. There's, I don't know how this happened, but there's a clean liver. I mean, and he showed both scans, you know, one had all these dark spots that were the tumors and this new one was, was clean. And I actually, I got really mad because I said, you know, this is your misdiagnosis of this was the cause of all my trouble. Right. I wasn't ready to accept guilt on my own part. You know, I was blaming yeah. the doctors for yeah, the blame game, but he said, no. And he had a secondary um, review from, from UCLA Medi medical center. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, like the Holy spirit just coming on me and saying, you know, Hey, this was God's healing. And at that point, I truly believed in God. And since that time, I've been doing everything I can to, for the kingdom. It's, it's, um, it was phenomenal that he, I think he knew he had to heal my daughter in order for me to truly believe, you know, it was, it, it was amazing. So after that, um, I played guilty cause I was guilty cause I had a whole change of attitude. I just said, well, you know, I'm gonna, I did, I did what I did and, um, whatever the reason I, I got to pay. So they put me in, in a county jail in a suicide cell for a year. 
Um, and that was the most horrific thing I ever went through. I mean, a, a single cell, you have a, a metal bed with a yoga mat a, as a mattress, no blankets. Um, the lights are on 24 seven. You could basically touch the walls. You know, it was that small. And they, they do that because they don't want to give you anything to be able to, to hang yourself with. Right. I mean, it was, it was, it was horrible. One hour, every three days out. Um, it just was, was horrible, but it was a blessing to me because I got, it was able to read the Bible. You know, that's the time I took to really, but I didn't really know how to read that. Right. I was, I was reading it, not studying it, not, not, you know, meditating on it, what that means to me, but I still learned a lot of scriptures and stuff. And eventually they sent me a year later, they sent me to Fort Worth, Texas, to the federal prison. And I was angry again because I thought, God, why are you sending me to, to Fort Worth, Texas? I live in California. My, my family can't afford to come visit me. You know, this is ridiculous. But as soon as I got in there, um, I, I met uh, an ex-sheriff who was really nice. I went to the, the chapel and the chapel had another couple of cops working in there. You know, I was surprised at how many cops were in prison. But then Tyndale Seminary from, from Texas, they came in and they did um, classes in, in the prison. So I started taking those classes. I ended up getting my master's degree in theology and counseling. And then I, this was the whole reason they sent me out there. They sent an ex-LAPD officer um, to the prison. He was already in a minimum security camp, but some stuff happened where um, he got accused of doing something he didn't do, or at least that's that's the story I got. And when we met, he had taught me some of the techniques that Elijah House, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, and they're in, in um, Idaho, they have a healing ministry. And he taught me some of the stuff that, that he taught because he had PTSD from like three different shootings. He got shot like six times and he ended up shooting two and killing two of the assailants. So it was all legitimate, but eventually his PTSD led him to a drug and alcohol abuse, which led him to, to stealing drugs too. So it was almost the same story, but I, I never drank. So I never, never became an alcoholic, but he taught me how to look at the Bible a different, his name is Ruben Palomares and he just showed me that this, how to absorb the Bible, how to look for principles of healing, look at scriptures that will um, basically resonate with you. You know, it's, it's hard to explain. And within four months, uh, you know, what I forgot to say, and I'm sorry about this, but during the two years that I was out on bail, I went to secular psychiatrists and psychologists. And um, they helped me a lot. I, I'm not putting down secular uh, therapy, but there was no healing. They, they taught me how to cope with my um, panic attacks and anxiety without the use of drugs, but there was no healing. So after meeting him, after studying for four months and almost doing a similar to a 12-step, but it was more of a Christian 12-step through confession and repentance, since that time, it's been... Um, 10 years, yeah, 10 years now, I have not had a single PTSD symptom. It's, it's God healed me. God healed my daughter. He healed me. It was incredible, just incredible. So after a couple of years in Texas, or I guess three years in Texas, I went to, uh, they sent me to the minimum security camp 
in near Santa Barbara, California, which was closer to my family, but still about six hours away. And there they had classes on um, addiction recovery. They had classes on being addiction counselor. And they had a seminary that was doing doctorate programs and counseling. So I took those. I received my doctorate in um, Christian counseling. And that's where I was certified as a, a addiction counselor. And there I was able to, to counsel other inmates um, informally because they don't really want you to. But the, the chaplains there are basically hands off. It's, it's kind of sad. They don't really meet the spiritual needs uh, of the, the inmates there. But um, so I, I helped a little bit. I, um, I, I preached in the church and um, I did classes on, on how I got healed. And it was a real great experience. I mean, I can't, jail or prison really was the best thing for me. It, it, it not only brought me to God, but it gave me a training ground. You know, it gave me a way to understand human nature. And the biggest thing was why people do the things they do, right? As a cop, they, you don't have any psychology classes saying, okay, this guy's a drug addict. It could be because this, this, and this, you know, and most of those things are PTSD or, or trauma related, right? Self-medicating and, and trying to numb your feelings and such. Very, very few of the addicts that I've met just enjoy getting high. I mean, it, there's always a root cause of it. And as a police officer, I wish we would have known that because there was a lot of guys that actually shouldn't have gone to jail that maybe should have gone to a rehab facility or a detox center and, and stuff like that. But um, so they, then they sent me to a drug um, class that was in Oregon and I was there for a few months and then COVID hit. And when COVID hit because of my pre-existing illnesses, they, they let me out on home confinement. So um, I got out about two years ago and I've been working ever since as, as an addiction counselor. And I just got credentialed as a chaplain here last month. And I'm, I'm hoping to, to work more in the ministry field than the actual addiction counseling. But the addiction counseling was a phenomenal um, training ground also. So here I am. I decided to write a book about how God heals us, right? I mean, we, we don't look at God when, when we're going through trauma. We don't really look at him. Um, we, we, we seek out secular things like um, alcohol or, or drugs or um, maybe um, um, dangerous sex, uh, overeating, undereating. You know, we, we look at all these coping mechanisms that make us feel better for a temporary period, but it's only temporary. You know, th those feelings will always come back. And then there's usually a low afterwards because you feel guilt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so, so what happens to us is there's a root cause to it, most of the things that, that cause us to have negative emotions. And I like to make the analogy of, you know, on your car, there, there's a, on your dashboard, there's a red light that says that comes up when there's a potential imminent danger to the vehicle, right? It's, it's a warning light. Mm -hmm. And what I like to describe it as when we get those negative emotions of anger, bitterness, um, hatred, um, seeking revenge, you know, all these things, we, we, become, we become that critical spirit. That's God telling us, hey, this has to be 
um, um, processed, right? This has to be, be um, addressed. Otherwise, you're never going to, to have that peace again. And, and these things can only really be processed by uh, forgiveness, confession, and repentance. Because what happens is when we have that root cause, we go to sinful responses, right? It's not the traumatic incident that causes us the pain. It's our response, right? When we respond to it in, in first we get, we get angry, then we have hold unforgiveness. And the Bible says you have to forgive, you know, and anger, it says you can't hold anger overnight, you know? And when we hold on to these things, then we judge the others. And of course, the Bible says, don't, don't judge other people. Yeah. You can judge them for what they do, but not for what they are. But what we normally do is, oh, that guy's a, a jerk because of this and this. Well, yeah, he did this and this, but it doesn't mean he's a jerk. So all these, these sins are, are, are going, and the sin causes havoc in our system, right? And you know, the only way to cure that is through confession and repentance and, and identifying that root cause and forgiving or asking for forgiveness or whatever that root cause is, is to, to um, process it and deal with it, you know, to, to get rid of it. And, and that's why I wrote the book because it, it, it's easier said than done because we have to look at um, our past. We have to accept responsibility for the things that we have done. And we have to re-experience that trauma by, by going over it again, examining it and, figuring out where we went wrong, right? You know, okay, this, so I was betrayed by a friend. All right, well, I'm mad at him. Yeah, okay, I'm mad at him. But we don't know what's going on in his life, right? Or, or in the case of a father maybe beating you as a child, you don't know how your father grew up. You know, maybe he grew up being beaten by his father and that's all he knows. And then another thing that comes in is honoring your parents. And if you don't honor your parents, Deuteronomy says things will not go good for you. You know, so there's the Bible really it, it describes emotional trauma and tells you the roadmap to heal it. And, and that's what my book tries to do. Yeah. And you've kind of described the whole Christ-centered healing <laughs> of trauma. Like everything you've described is, is the core of that. And uh, very, very important. Um, and so your book in that book, he goes through his whole life story. You're very open. I love that. Um, and then you kind of get into describing the Christ-centered healing and how that has helped you through your learning that. Um, so in his book that you, you can find that. And I took a few notes while, while you were uh, talking as well. Um, so it's like, I, I do understand the PTSD side of things because I come from a very traumatic I was molested twice as a child um, and I I was I was abused at times um, so I definitely understand that and there has been a stigma surrounding it there still is although it's becoming less uh, now as people are getting that awareness out there and realizing it is out there and counseling definitely is huge I've had both the secular like you said and that helped me with cope, coping mechanisms and then I had the Christian counseling and that was the true healing part for me. So I definitely, yeah, you're definitely correct. Getting both can definitely be very helpful because yes. um, they do focus on different areas. So that is very important. And for anyone out there who's going through PTSD and you're, you're struggling to with whether or not you should get help, get help, um, go to a counselor, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, 
go to a counselor. And if you do go to a non-Christian, I do suggest going to a Christian afterwards uh, because of their different focuses. Um, and suicide, that's mm. that's a big one. I, I have suffered with a lot of suicide attempts throughout my, my, my years or, or thoughts of suicide. Um, and God has definitely brought me to my knees through a lot of those times. Uh, and he does teach us good things through the bad and uses that to shape us. Can you describe how that would, that, that really happened in your life? You kind of went through it a bit there, but how did God use the bad things to make you better? You know, when, when these traumatic events and, and they don't even have to be traumatic. They can be overwhelming, like a child getting bit by a dog. You know, yeah, the yeah. rest of your life, you're going to be afraid of the dogs, you know, um, in a marriage, maybe a spouse will cheat on the other spouse and um, the betrayal will just, it'll affect your entire life, you know, and this is why we really need to, to understand what the Bible says about all these things. And like you said, there's secular counseling is great. It, it teaches you the coping skills to, to get through, but if you truly want to heal, you know, it's only God that can heal because he created us. But the, the false belief that, and this is what I did too, when, when I got the disease and when I started suffering in, in the pain of my emotional issues, even though I didn't believe in God, I still blamed him, right? So, so you, I wasn't really an atheist. I, I was more agnostic because I blamed him. I thought, why, God, why are you doing this to me? I, I just, I don't understand why you're punishing me. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I really wasn't, right? I mean, none of us are good. Paul says it. Not, none of us are good. Yeah, and, and Christians we, fall into that, that exact same fear. Right, and, and we all think that we're good and if you really go through the Bible, you'll see that that we're not, but but the standard is so high that we could never do it, right? And it's it's understanding the the moral the, the moral line that we just can't cross. And a lot a lot of us do, even as Christians, we do that. But then we blame God. But these trials in our life are important. You know, we we learn not only how to get closer to God, but we learn things about ourselves and others when we're going through traumatic or overwhelming events. When these trials come in our life, God doesn't want to hurt us, but he doesn't care about our flesh. He cares about our soul. And all these things are meant to shape us more into Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. He, if for me, I was a narcissist, you know, and whatever I said goes, right? I was a cop. I was, you know, hey, if I say this, you got, you got to do it. And what wasn't being humble at all, I mean, humility wasn't even in me, but this whole situation taught me humility. It, it taught me compassion for others. And I think that's what God does a lot of times. I'm, I just um, sent a book over to the publisher I just finished. It's um, God, Why Me? Why God Allows Suffering. And it, it's hard, cold truths, and a lot of people might not like it. But like Job, you have to go through something traumatic or, or, um, or overwhelming, and God will use that. Whether it's self-inflicted or not, my stuff was all self-inflicted. But others that go through events, even though it was no fault of their own, 
you got to look at it from a different perspective, a godly perspective, right? So instead of praying, God, please take this out of my life, you know, why are you doing this to me? Take this out of my life. Pray, God, you know, thank you for making me more like Jesus. Teach me what you want me to learn through this, right? Because that, that's really what uh, these, these painful events are. And, and Jesus himself promises, hey, through life, you're going to go through painful events, and it's all through the New Testament that suffering is, is necessary. You know, Jesus suffered and um, we have to go through God's will. So if we pray to get out of our trial that we're in, are we actually praying against God's will? You know, because a lot of people will say, well, this is Satan. Yeah, it, it is Satan. But God allows us to make our own decisions. And when we make those bad decisions, what he will do is he will make something good come out of it. And I truly believe that. And people don't believe me, but through my suffering from not only the, the emotional issues, mental health issues, but in prison, I wouldn't change that for, for a second. It's, it's changed me profoundly to where I care about people now, which I didn't before. I, I can love people now, which I, I never was able to before. And it's made me a better person, even though I suffered 10 years of, um, of pain, you know, going through this embarrassment. Um, you know, there's still police officers that won't talk to me. You know, they just say you're a criminal and we don't, we don't really want to acknowledge, you know, you. And that's, it's sad, but that, that's the truth. That's who I was, but that's not who I am now. Yeah. And uh, trials, they end up bringing about empathy and understanding about how other people are going through and your trial, you never know who your trials are going to reach and who it can help. And you, you don't see a lot of that side of things. Sometimes you do, but a lot of it, you don't necessarily know or see, but God can use that and plant that seed and the Holy spirit can develop in people through those, those things. And well, so like you say, your trials are, they're important. And uh, nobody's life was easy in the Bible. I mean, you look at David and Joseph and and Ruth, like all these, like, and Esther, like all these big heroes in the Bible that God says were after his own heart. And yet they were major sinners, just like us. And they went through a lot of trials to get to the point where they could help other people. And they had to learn humility. I mean, David. He had, he had to learn humility. Um, and Joseph had to be humble as well to be in the position he was in. He still had to develop that humility. Yeah. And in Corinthians, it says, you know, God will bring you through and you're expected basically to comfort others that are going through similar things by the things that you've learned. Yeah. So in that, in our, our testimony is so powerful. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. My wife really doesn't want like me to talk about it because she thinks it's bringing things up from the past, but it's not. It's, I would hope that my story would, first of all, prevent anybody else from being pigheaded like I was and not seeking help. And secondly, that if you have done something dumb, if you have something that you have severe guilt over, that, that God, it, it, it's, it's not severe. It's not a death blow, right? If, if you love God, it's going to turn around and something good's going to happen. And I, I think that everybody has a testimony. Everybody should be given their testimony of what God did in their lives, not only to encourage other Christians, but to, to, 
there's going to be people out there going, wow, you know, wow, if God moved in his life, I wonder if, if I, you know, God will move in my life. Yeah. So are, are things very important? And when things are going good, we don't seek out God, right? We don't, you know, think things are going smoothly. You have nice kids. You're making a lot of money. You got a nice house. We're not really praising him for it, which we should. And then we might have to go through that trial in order to really appreciate him and to, to reset ourselves to go, okay, now I realize that God is in charge and all good things come from him. And all the things that I have is because of him, yeah. you know, and when we get to our lowest point, that's when we look up and yeah. it shouldn't be that way. Right. It should be a, a constant thing where I thank you Lord for, for, for all the things that, that I have and, and that I do. And we should be working for him, not out of responsibility, not, not out of, um, you know, oh, this is a commandment. Damn, I got to do this. I got to do that. No, yeah. out of love for, for him and wanting to please him. Right. And I believe that's the key. And I believe that's the key to your future healing too, you know, because we do so many things that block our healing and um, it's, it's time to really, to, um, to, to, to really follow him and to, to acknowledge him as, as your Lord and save. Yeah. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, also you can look at, uh, if anybody's wanting encouragement, Philippians 4, 12 and 13, huge verse uh, explaining how you can do all things through him who gives you strength or strengthens me, depending on which version you're, you're reading. But uh, that verse has stuck with me for a long time. Um, and that's not meaning that you can go out and do whatever you want through Christ. It just means that if you're living a godly life and you trust in him, he will get you through whatever comes your way. He will get you through that. Um, and it always is going to be about God's glory because that's important. And when people ask me why I do what I do, it's like, first of all, the Great Commission and spreading God's word is, is key and integral in everything that you do in terms of sharing your testimony. That's telling other people, I follow Christ. I believe in Christ. You should too. What, how God has helped me, he will help you. And that's, that's so important. And when you look at... Um, even the, the, the childhood illnesses, uh, my own ch son is going through stuff right now where we're waiting on a wait list because he has a muscle disorder or he's lost. Um, he's got a lot of weakness in half of his body as well. He's got a lot of uh, weird swelling and stuff going on when he's around anything that that's, that's cold, uh, including slurpees and stuff makes his, his throat and everything swell. So I understand that too. And I understand also God can bring miraculous healing. And if he doesn't, what is he trying to teach us through this? And how is my son going to be a better Christian because of what he's gone through? Um, and looking at it from that point is, is huge in terms of healing and strength. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the, the addicts that I work with <clears throat> don't come in as, as Christian because they don't want to follow rules, right? Oh, you know, and, and then they, a lot of them have been hurt by the church too, you yeah. know, and we've got to face up to that, that there needs to be a lot of changes in the church. The church is good at saying what we shouldn't do, you know, but, but what about the, the good things, right? 
but Christianity just boils down to love God and love each other. I mean, really, that's that's it. Exactly. It, it's, but it's not, it, it, it's not taught, right? Oh yeah, you can't, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink. No, that, that you know, that every everything in moderation. In people don't understand that. And when you just realize that it's just loving one another, and and if you can do that. It's very difficult to do. There's people in my life that I have a really tough time loving, but at least respecting them, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's that's what it really boils down to. And when you're in God's will, I truly believe that the blessings come. And with situations like, like yours and, and my daughter's, I think that there's always something to be learned from it. And he knows the future, he knows everything. And so even though my stuff was self-inflicted, he saw the potential, I think. And I think that he sees the potential. It looks like Gideon, you know, he was not a mighty man of valor. He was, he was a, a chicken hiding, you know, but God saw the potential in him. And I think that's what we got to look at. We got to pray for healing, of course, but we also have to understand that that God is sovereign, you know, he might have a plan and purpose. There was several times in, in um, prison when inmates came up to me and said, Hey, my mom is, you know, is doing really bad. Can we pray for healing? I, I said, yeah, let, well, let's, let's pray. But just understand that God has a plan and that plan might be for her, you know, to, to pass on at this time, you know? And so there was a few guys there with this prosperity um, gospel that only, well, only believe, and it was so sad because when his mom passed, he was beating himself up because he felt he didn't have enough faith to, to save her. But that, that's a false teaching of the Bible. And we have to understand that sometimes early deaths happen. And sometimes a lot the of, answer is no. Yeah. 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 And, and, but there's a lot of instances, look at, um, I'm sorry, I don't know her name, but the, the mother of the um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I mean, that was a tragic loss. She made something great into it. There's many people that um, suffer um, from a premature death of a child that have made um, ministries to, to parents. I mean, it's possible to make something really good happen out of a, a tragedy. And mm -hmm. we have to understand that he controls everything. Yeah. And we had uh, actually Barry Atkins on who his son died of a, an alcohol overdose mm. and now he's committed his life to just sharing his son's story and his experience through that um you can see some of those videos on some of my earlier okay. segments on, on youtube but uh yeah it's it's powerful when you see the the parents of these of these children and they're the ones who are speaking out about faith that's powerful and it can really reach people and impact people and hopefully save some kids lives because he he speaks in schools now and and hopefully he's making enough of a difference that some people will decide not to drink and drive. Um, as well, talking about the church, yeah, the church becomes stagnant. And right now, we were talking about this um, with Pastor Darren Hansen uh, in, the, in one of the previous episodes as well, yeah. and how the church is stagnant. And we need change. We need to stop focusing on it all being everything from the church. We need to go out and do, not just rely on the church to empower people, but to actually go out and do it. And if sometimes we rely on the church too much, we think, oh, the church can do everything for us. Well, no, 
the Bible calls us to go out and make disciples of all uh, of all nations. Like that's what we're supposed to do. And being a disciple, as Pastor Darren was explaining, that doesn't mean just following. That means going out and you end up becoming the mentor later. Yeah. And that's important. And churches are missing that. And I think it's it's sad. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you that the churches should be pushing more of a helping others. What we give to missions overseas, you know, but you never see the, the church people in the inner city, you know, try, trying to help people. And and I don't want to go into a touchy subject, but this this thing with abortion, all the the, the Christians are 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 marching and they're doing all this, which is great, which is totally great. But now that it's over, you don't, don't see them helping, you know, expectant mothers that, that are in the inner city or that are, are just um, 14 years old and been raped, but, you know, you don't see them. Well, where's the help now? You know? Yeah. So it, it's, it's an ongoing thing. If uh, shootings, okay, well, you know, every life is, is important. Yes, it, it, it is. And, and I'm totally in agreement with that. But maybe let's march into the inner city and, and try to bring God in there too. So maybe some of these, you know, murders will stop. You know, so it's a, it, it's got to be a global thing, not just focused on on one thing like missions, 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 or, um, or, or homeless. Yeah, that, those are all great, but it, it's got to be more involved in the community. And I think this is where churches could also help broken people. You know, if. Yeah. If I'm a cop now, and I know what I know now, and I'm hoping that other cops who are listening to this will, will see it, if, if the church had some type of a, a, a ministry for broken people, you know, those have, who have suffered traumatic events or overwhelming events, so they don't have to go to the city doctor or the state doctor to where they can go to the church, right, and receive care there. It seems like we're, our churches are missing that. You know, they, they expect people to come in and everybody's perfect. You know, when, when, a, when a sinner comes in, it's almost like, oh, well, you know, okay, sit in the back there and, and you know, just give your tithes. You know, the, I went to a couple of churches when I got out of prison and it, a couple of them were really, really horrible to me, you know, and I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is a church and this is a place for broken people. And you're going to basically, you know, treat me like, uh, like crap. Yeah. This is not what Jesus envisioned the church to be. No, God, and, the, God preaches forgiveness, love, repentance, but forgiveness and, and love uh, are the most thing. If you repent of your sins, that forgiveness should be there. And like you said before, it's not up to us as Christians to judge how other people are living. I've had people send me hate mail before, and they'll probably send me more just for saying this. Uh, who, because of some people I've had on that they say are, are fake Christians or, or whatever, and it, they're attacking me for that. And I'm just like, who are you to say whether they are a Christian? Who are you to say you know their heart better than God knows their heart? And who are you to judge them for the speck in their eye when you've got a log stuck in your own eye? Yeah. And so I always tell them to tread carefully when, when you're when you're sending me this stuff, tread carefully with how you're judging other people, how you're treating other people, because God speaks very, very clearly mm. on judgment and how that is reserved for God and God alone, yep. not for us. Um, and that actually is a sin. So mm. by you judging them, you're committing a sin yourself 
or sending me hate mail. You're committing yeah. a sin yourself. And uh, you know, uh, hate mail alone is a sin. I mean, it's just yeah. Romans 12, one, I think, or 12, two says that, you know, if you judge others, you're doing the very same thing they do. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. The hypocrisy is just, it, it's crazy. Not this, this, I don't know. It, the world is so changed now. Every, everybody's hypocritical and, you know, they're, they're yelling and putting down other people, but they're doing the same thing. And it's just, it, it's just crazy. We just need to get back to loving one another. And yeah. if you love somebody, you can't gossip about them behind their back. You can't steal from them. You can't betray them. And that's really all it is. Forget the Ten Commandments because everything from there is, is love, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it's so simple. I wish people could just, just get that. But yeah. it, loving people is hard, though. It really it, is. It, oh, it is. Definitely. I've got people that I've, like old bosses, especially some of them where I'm just like, you know, you were so terrible to me. You treated me like dirt. You spat all over me. Yeah. Basically expected the world out of me and gave me nothing in return. And yet, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're still called to love our enemy and that that is very important and like you say it's not easy it is certainly not easy but we're still called to do it because mm -hmm. jesus loves us even though our sin put him on the cross yeah. and put him through so much pain and agony and suffering he took the weight of all of our sins on his shoulders and forgave us and i mean he said on the cross like they know not what they do like forgive them for they know not what they do like it, that alone is so powerful that in that time of pain and suffering at his worst pain and suffering he asked for the forgiveness of the nations and the people who are hurting him yeah. and that for us should be powerful enough yeah. that we should remember that and treat others accordingly and the world is so full of hate right now everything is hate it's black lives matter you, or anti anti-cop like you got to hate 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 yeah. and, or or if you disagree with me i'm going to hate you twitter is terrible for that mm. uh, and i'm going to hate you you can't have a different opinion and it's like if you love someone and treat them with respect when they have a different opinion you're going to listen to them and you're going to have a discussion yes over it not filled with anger not spewing swears at each other as people have done to me many times, but just being like, okay, we disagree on this. Yeah. Here's my points. Here's your points. Let's agree that yes, we both think we're right. But at the end of the day, it's not worth hating someone over. It's not worth treating them like crap over. Um, exactly. Amen. I mean, that's well said. And, and we, we do this in the church too. Like, all these different sects, you know, the yeah. Baptist versus the, it, it's just, it's crazy. Well, we believe in this and you don't believe in that. Well, the Bible is complicated just, but it has all these little arguments over scripture have really nothing to do about, you know, our, our eternity, where we spend our eternity, that the gospel is clear. All these other little things is not even worth arguing about, but yeah. people love to argue and fight and be right. And, you know, it's just, it's just a shame that we can't get back to, um, I don't know if we, it's been a long time since we have, but get back to just, like you just said, just in moderation, right? You know, it, this far right and far left, let's just, just be in the middle and, and agree to disagree. I, I agree with you. Well yeah. said.
let Christ be the center. Um, and I do want to thank everybody in uniform, whether it's army, police, paramedic, mm -hmm. fire, uh, like fire and rescue, uh, and a coast guard, like all these people that are in uniform protecting us, border patrol, like they're out there doing a hard and tough job and and they need they need god's love they they need us to understand and pray for them because it's a hard job that most of us cannot do and wouldn't even try to do my son's in cadets and i can only imagine he wants to keep going in that and i'm just like uh i don't know like <laughs> I believe, though, if you're giving him the uh, firm foundation in Jesus, I, I think it's going to be a lot better, you know, and if he's honest and open. But people don't understand it and, and they, they hate cops. And I understand that some like like me, <laughs> some do things wrong and and should be punished. And, and, I, and those people are, I believe. But when you understand, just like you said about we, when we understand what Jesus went through, when you understand what police and fire go through, I mean, I was, I was on less than a month and um, I had to take a plane crash where this plane crashed into a, a, a strip, um, not a strip mall, but a two-story mall, shopping mall. And it was December 23rd and it was literally 50 yards away from um, where Santa was and the kids were in line. And it killed 14 and injured like 80. It was like a war. It was just horrible. The things. Some, something you never forget. Never forget the smells, everything. You know, a traffic accident where the guy was beheaded. Um, there's, you know, child abuse. Trying to listen to a four-year-old as, as she's trying to explain how someone molested her. These, these things weigh on your soul and your heart. And when we continue to, to bury it, like I said, it's going to come out. And that's why I'm doing this is because hopefully some cop out there will recognize the symptoms, you know, that hasn't committed a crime yet, like I did, but yeah. recognizes the symptoms before they go into that downward spiral where I did. And will say, Hey, you know, I don't want to be like him. <laughs> I want to do the right thing and ask for help, you know, and, and that would, that would be awesome. But you're exactly right. These, um, they don't get enough respect, you know, just like the military, the military, you, you know, you have a four year deployment or a, a two year deployment, but a four year career. Most people finish out in four years, but cops go through a 30 year uh, career. And they, they, I guess the last study I heard was over 850 traumatic incidents. And, and you can just imagine that this is why a lot of cops are angry. Um, that they're short and curt with people, right? because so many people betray them and, and call them names and well they never know when someone's got a gun or a knife that they're going to pull on them yeah and i i don't think there's as much racial issues as the media portrays i think it's more like you just said fear you know and um that the, the fear could have racial overtones but I've never met anybody that says, hey, listen, we're going to go beat up a, a, a Mexican or a black guy. You know, that, that never really happens. But when someone makes a move and you got a guy that's already been through a couple of traumatic events, he, he's going to respond and, and yeah. sometimes he'll respond in the wrong way and, and not try to give the guy a pass. You know, we should never give him a pass. But this is one of the reasons why departments have to address these issues. Right. You, you need health, mentally healthy officers out there that are not um 
in fear of, of every little movement that somebody does. Yeah. So you're exactly right. And I thank you for that because people don't really realize what, what they go through. They, they think it's just taking fingerprints off a window and a burglary. And now there, there's much more to it. Every traffic stop can can be a fatal one. You, you never know who's got drugs in the vehicle, what they're going to do, like they're going to panic. I know my own my own brother, sorry, Alvin, uh, but he uh, he panicked when he was young, when he was in his truck and he'd been speeding and he just panicked and he just drove off and drove away from the cop and he was stuck in a farmer's field and uh, ran out of gas. And the and a cop pulled him over and a farmer uh, didn't even realize that what my brother had done. Had done. And then we get a call at home being like, um, your son's in jail right now. Can you come pick him up? And it was actually a friend of ours who called us because my brother was so ashamed he didn't want to call my dad. So he called his friend's parents. And he regrets it. I mean, it was a stupid move. He knows it was a stupid move, something he would never do again. But it was a moment of panic. And cops have to deal with that. Like, what are they going to do? People are unpredictable. You never know what they're going to do. And so a cop has to be prepared. Same with a paramedic or a fire. They have to be prepared for unexpected things to happen, especially when you're dealing with drugs. Yeah. And, and the cop that chased him, I mean, what, what does he know? He doesn't know who he's chasing. He yeah. doesn't know why he's chasing me. Okay. He's, he's just a kid scared. No, you know, Hey, this guy might've shot and killed somebody. He might've just, you know, pulled a bank robbery. You just, you don't know who yeah. you're stopping and when people run or when people are non-cooperative, like you see guys running and stuff, it's never going to end up any good, right? But, it, and again, I'm not trying to justify any officer that, that, that might have used excessive force. I'm not trying to give them a pass. I'm not. I'm just trying to give people an idea. And like you just said, that we just don't know. And when somebody is on high alert and they've been traumatized in the past, you know, um, it's, it's probably going to lead to, to, to nothing good. So anybody out there, just stop and say, okay, what do you, officer, what do you want me to do? You know, and that's yeah. they're really the easiest. In, in All the instructions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, we have to think of the reasons behind all of this because every event like that, builds up in a police officer over time or a paramedic over time or a firefighter over time to a point where they then become not trusting of people. And you have to look at that even in other people's lives where it's like, what are the reasons for them being the way they are? Like they may be what we, what we would call a horrible person and mean, but uh, we have to look at what's brought them to that point. Why are they the way they are? With all my traumas, I could be a terrible person. I was very hard-headed and stubborn for a long time. My wife would say I still am at times. But uh, th- there's reasons. Like th- There is reasons why I am the way I am. I've chosen to use my experiences to help people. You're trying to do that as well. And you have to really just think, what has gone on in this person's life? And you don't know those things. And uh, caring enough to even ask or to think about that is is huge. Yeah, you know Hebrews uh, was it twelve 
five, I think it uh, says, you know, it would get a better bitter root and that bitter root not only defiles you, but everyone else. So in other words, hurt people, hurt people, you know, and that's why we need to deal with anyone that's going through anything. You, you need to address that issue. You can't just let it fester. You can't just let it go, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed of this, but um, I don't want to cry, but uh, everybody that's holding these things down and going through stuff and not dealing with it. The first thing we do is we take it out on our family, right? Yeah. When, um, when they interviewed my daughters, you know, uh, the probation department down here interviews um, your, your family to see what kind of person you are. And, and, and rightfully so um, my, my daughter said, Hey, I, I didn't cause she was, they're both adults at that time. I, she said, I didn't even want to go home and, and see my dad because I didn't know which dad I'd get the dad that the, the jerk that he'd become or the dad that raised me who who was was awesome you know and I didn't know it at the time I was hurting in my kids but by my my behavior my um anger and frustration at things not because they did anything but we normally always take out our anger at family, right? Because we can't do it to the boss. We can't yell at our boss because we get fired, right? But when we go home, it's it's easy to be, oh, leave me alone. You know, I, I need to I need to de-stress and I need to have a couple beers or or whatever, smoke some marijuana, you know, just to get distressed. But those are the people we hurt. You know, I yeah. put my wife through hell, and um, I'll never be able to repay her for that. But the only way I can do that is to to be a, a better person. Right. And, and I hope and I pray that people listening or, or wives that may be saying, wow, you know, my, my husband has kind of the same is exhibiting the same kind of behavior to, to talk to them. I mean, I think you said at the very beginning, we need to, to talk. And if it's not to a psychologist or a Christian counselor, just just talking to a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, you know, whatever, whoever you trust. To, to just start the processing, you know, when, when we talk about it, you know, there's a lot of um, psychologists now that are doing um, uh, exposure therapy. So in other words, if you've, you're a veteran and, and you've seen some horrific things in Iraq or wherever, tell the story, tell the story over and over again, because the more you tell it, the, the less power it has over you. Yeah. We're never going to forget what happened to us, or we're never going to you know, uh, forget those people that betrayed us or, or cheated on us, but we can get to a point where it doesn't have the power over us to control our behavior. And that, and that's what happens. You know, our, our value system changes and we behave as we believe. And if we yeah. believe that all women are cheaters or all men are cheaters, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll treat them as such and it'll infiltrate into every relationship we have. And that's why it's important to, to deal with these things so that, it doesn't defile others like Hebrew says. Yeah. And learn to give it all to God. Yes. Let God deal with it. Let God heal and, and let him process it. I mean, and he gives us the tools to process things. Yes. Um, and that's where counselors, psychiatrists, doctors, it's where they come in and even medication. Right. Um, and, and taking medication is no shame. I've got pain meds. I've got anti-anxiety meds and I've got anti-depression meds. And I'm not ashamed that I take them. I mean, they're just, they help me be a better person and not take it out of my family. Um, because yeah, I mean, 
when you're going through depression and stuff, yeah, you're right. Your family is who suffers. Uh, yeah, you take and, it out of them. Yeah, and there's no stigma. I know a lot of people, oh, you know, I don't want to be known as taking meds, but sometimes we just have this imbalance that, that needs to be um, a balanced, right? Yeah. It's, it's not that it changes you, it, it just evens you out. And um, I'm a big proponent of, of making sure that we're not stuck in anxiety because like, yeah, you, know, you just said it, it will hurt everybody else. So yeah. I, I agree, totally agree with that. So thank you for coming on. Where can people find you and your book online? Well, my website is christ-centeredhealing.com. And the book is on Amazon. You could also buy it at www.christcenteredhealingbook.com directly from the publisher. And um, I'm going to put it out there. If anybody wants to know further about a certain situation or, or whatever, just email me through christcenteredhealing.com and um, I will do whatever I can to, to help because this is we are in such need of healing and there's so many broken people out there. I, matter of fact, I don't think there's anybody that hasn't had some type of incident that's keeping them oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, same with me. Uh, anybody who needs someone to talk to, just send me, shoot me an email at tpeters745 at gmail.com or coolexplorations.com. Uh, I'll get both of them. Um, and just be open and be willing to, to talk. And if you do email me, uh, expect I'm going to throw some questions your way because uh, that's that's how we heal that's mm -hmm. how we process so no shame in reaching out no shame in getting help do so um, and I'm not a counselor so I do recommend getting a counselor um, seeing a counselor talking to one uh, or a psychiatrist or talk to your doctor especially if you're suicidal um, I've got a little thing in my in my wallet just in case I, I am suicidal because I have had those tendencies uh, that gives my family's contact information as well as my doctor. Um, so if you are suicidal, write out a card like that, uh, stick it in your wallet, talk to your doctor about it, because that's the only way you're going to get healing. Um, you're not alone. Hmm. No, you're not alone. So thank you, uh, Norm, for coming on. Really appreciate this. Uh, it's been great insight and uh, love having the uh, men in uniform portion of the of the ptsd because we had the army on so army veterans so it's nice to have some of the many other uniforms as well well, well thank you for giving me a, a place to to try, try to help and um it's an honor being here thank you very much thank you for listening to the cool explorations podcast you've just heard from norm welsh who wrote a book christ-centered healing of trauma and he is using this to help people with PTSD and deal with his own PTSD and help people get through addiction and uh, using the Christ-centered healing approach.